is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I am really excited to welcome Melinda Brianna Epler to the show. Melinda will talk about creating equity, allyship, and inclusion for all in the workplace. Melinda, I am such a big fan. I have watched your TED Talk. I have listened to your podcast. So I'm geeking out a little bit here because I'm really excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. I'm so excited to speak with you today. Well, thanks. You know, I want to start right off the bat for you to help our global audience understand what allyship is and also what it isn't and why it matters, because that term will resonate with many, but it may be new to some. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Allyship is really recognizing that there's an imbalance and opportunity in this world um, for uh, people with different underrepresented identities and working to change that. So whether that's small actions or larger actions, um, there are things that all of us can do to really make a difference for each other in the workplace, um, which my book is really focused on the workplace, but also in our neighborhoods, in, in, in society in general, and really creating change for each other so that we all can really live, love, lead, thrive in ways that um, um, where, where we're meant to. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so allyship, um, it's I, in the book, I outline allyship into seven different parts, um, seven different steps that you can take as allies. And uh, it really starts with learning and unlearning and relearning and then making sure that we're doing no harm. Um, that we're doing no harm through biases and microaggressions and kind of little actions that we might be taking uh, little little sayings that that might be unintentionally creating harm and then um, and then once we once we do that once we uh, kind of work on making sure that we're not unintentionally harming people then really advocating for each other standing up for each other leading the change and really making a difference in our workplaces and then in the world as well. You know, I'm so grateful that you said sometimes we need to unlearn things or relearn things. That really resonates with me because often we're we're not even aware. And when we become aware, we've got to change those behaviors. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the reality is that... Um, you know, our, our education systems um, have biases in them and, um, you know, our, our, the history that we've learned has been pretty much written from one or two perspectives and has left a lot of voices and experiences out. And, and so part of what we've learned in, um, as we grew up is, is only a piece of um, the full history. And then also we, we learn biases as well um, from our families, from our friends, from, from the media, uh, from, from our teachers. And, um, and, and just as we go through life, we learn, learn biases that, that, um, that aren't, aren't correct. And, and uh, it just takes a little bit of effort to, to unlearn those, you know, um, but it does take some effort. So I love, I love that you brought up biases. So being an ally means challenging our own biases, but where does that play out the most in the workplace from your experience? 
It, it's so many different different places from um, even before people get to the workplace, there's there's biases in education in the education systems, right? So some people are are, are left out of um, higher higher education and um, left out of different fields within education as well. Um, I work a lot in the tech industry, and and there's a real issue with uh, what women. Uh, learn as they go through education in the ways that they're discouraged from STEM, STEM fields. And that plays out in the tech industry because there are fewer women coming in. And then um, uh, there's a lot of biases that happen in our hiring processes in, in workplaces from, you know, ways that we're looking at um, education um, and using that as a filter when actually research shows that it doesn't matter where you've been educated ultimately and how well you do your job. Um, so we use these fish, these filters in, in our hiring processes that aren't actually um, beneficial to our workplaces or to each other. Um, it, it, there, there are lots of biases, even in interview questions and how we question different people. Um, we tend to question, uh, interview questions tend to be different for people who are like us versus, um, people who are less like us, who are different from us. Um, and we tend to, um, uh, even, even just looking at resumes, with African-American sounding names, they receive fewer callbacks with uh, women's names, uh, women sounding names, they receive fewer callbacks. Um, people with disabilities are seen as unhirable often. And so there's really low employment rates for people with disabilities. Um, and then when you go into pay negotiation, um, there are a lot of biases there as well um, that are perpetuated, you know, if you're if you're asking someone uh, what they were paid in their last job, well, in their last job, they may have been underpaid as well. So you're kind of perpetuating that inequity in the workplace. So we also tend to pay mothers um, uh, more than fathers. So there's a motherhood penalty and a fatherhood boost in compensation disparities as well. So uh, lots of ways there. And then um, and then also in, in hiring, I'm, I'm sorry, in promotion as well. Mm -hmm. um, the, the who we promote, uh, we tend to promote people who are like us um, unless we actively work against that, right? Unless we actively are, are more aware of our biases and, and work against them. Um, we, yeah, we, uh, we tend to see leadership qualities as more kind of um, what we might consider male uh, qualities and male uh, ways that, that men are leaders versus um, women sometimes are leaders in very different ways. Um, uh, and, and again, that's um, also we need to make sure that we're looking intersectionally as well. And so um, often black women, for example, are um, there's a there's a a bias called invisibilization, um, where uh, especially black women are invisibilized in the workplace and often their ideas are not as heard. Um, sometimes people interchange their, oh, two black women in a workplace, people will interchange their names um, and just forget their names. It is a, a lot of research shows that um, this happens specifically with black women. And, and so they get passed up for promotions more frequently as well. So um, there's definitely some intersectional issues that we need to address as well in the workplace. Melinda, you write about a specific bias called the just world bias. Can mm. you explain what that is and, and why it's so detrimental? 
Yeah, absolutely. So just world bias is the belief that we all get where we deserve um, depending on the hard work that we have put in um, throughout our lives. So uh, another another term for this is the meritocracy, that, um, that belief that we get where we are based on our merit alone, um, based on the hard work that we have put in. But the reality is that some people have to work 10 times as hard to get to the same, same place due to many barriers put in front of them uh, throughout their lives. Um, and, and so the way this is detrimental is that um, if you inherently believe, if, I wouldn't say inherent, if you believe in a meritocracy, if you believe that the world is inherently just, then you're less likely to understand that we need to work to correct inequity, inequities. Um, so there's a, a feeling that um, that is unfair to work on diversity, equity, and inclusion if you believe that there's a just world. Um, and and so it, what happens is we end up with 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 people that initially deny that this is important, that deny that they need to be allies, deny that um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is is work that needs to be done in the workplaces. Um, and it just most most people start there. I started there. <laughs> most people start there, so it's okay. And um, uh, and it's important to, to move past that once you have the, uh, some kind of an awareness moment. Um, then move through that, move into that, learn um, and keep learning so that you understand how the world is imbalanced um, and uh, opportunities are not equitable currently. And, and so we all have something that we can do to make a difference. Melinda, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your Working Life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. You know, I'm really grateful that you were honest and vulnerable and said, look, I started there with just mm -hmm. world bias. And I think it, it helps us understand you're an expert writing about this. You have an awesome podcast leading with empathy and allyship, and it's a journey. And, and we're constantly striving to get better, better, and more self-aware. So thank you for giving us all permission to know we're going to make mistakes. We're going to stumble. Mm -hmm. Uh, where do we start? Because it, it's it's a bit overwhelming in a good way to think, how can I be an ally? How can I help someone else? How can I be someone's champion? Yeah, um, it starts somewhere. <laughs> I would say, you know, it, it's different for everyone. I, you know, I think most people start with with learning. And, and that's important, uh, learning about biases, learning about microaggressions, and, 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 and then once you learn, once you learn, and it's a continuous learning process, I'm still learning. So learning doesn't stop, but at a certain point, you, you have to go beyond learning to taking action. And so um, that taking action, it could be little things like, um, you know, at first self-regulating um, to be ensure that you're doing no harm. So, um, you know, in any moment, check yourself. Um, 
uh, at, when you're making decisions, check yourself, making sure that no biases, that if biases are coming into play, that you're interrupting them before you take action. Um, because we, we all do have biases and it's really what we do about them that makes all the difference. Um, eventually, when we continue to self-regulate, we'll start to unlearn those biases. Um, but in the beginning, we have to take a moment before we make a decision, take a moment before, as we're first interacting with somebody and check in on what are my first impressions about that person? Are they biased? Um, and if so, take a moment um, and correct that and before you say something, before you do something, so you're not unintentionally creating some harm. Um, so that is, that is the first step is um, learning and unlearning. And then the second is to um, make sure we're doing no harm through biases and uh, recognizing our microaggressions is the, th the third. And then um, advocating for people, um, you know, there's so many different ways that we can advocate for people. And I think this is where when, when we think about how allies have stepped up for us in our lives, usually we're th we think about a way that somebody has advocated for for ourselves, for us. Um, so, I, you know, I think back to when I was uh, in getting my master's degree, I was um, getting my master's degree in art and realized at a certain point that I wanted to go into the film industry instead. And so wanted to transfer from, I was going to the Art Center College of Design, wanted to transfer to USC film school. And uh, I was not, um, uh, kind of a traditional candidate for film school. And, and so I asked someone um, who taught both schools, who was one of my professors who taught at both schools, if he would give me a recommendation. And he did, but he did more than that. He took my recommendation, walked it into the head of the department's office, handed it to her and said, you need to interview this woman. Wow. And it was just, you know, probably 10 minutes out of his day, maybe even, um, to do that, to take that extra step. But it got me the interview. And then from there, I had to take it and, and, and you know, get accepted to the, to the position, or to the uh, school. But it was that, you know, just those few steps to go into the, the office and hand it to her that really made all the difference in my life. Yeah, <laughs> ultimately. Yeah. Right? So it's just, it can be very little things that can make a big difference in somebody's life. So I'm going to flip that. And I agree, it can be very little things. And you dig deeply in the book into microaggressions, which is that, mm -hmm. you know, death by a thousand paper cuts kind of right. concept. So can you unpack that for us? Because again, I think some people don't even realize they're happening. And I would love for you to define it and give it an example or two so our listeners better understand. Sure. Yeah. So um, just to for those those who don't know what microaggressions are. So microaggressions are little everyday slights or insults, negative verbal and often nonverbal messages that, that can make somebody feel unsafe or unheard or belittled, disrespected, and generally that they don't belong. Um, so often they're experienced again and again, and it's the, that accumulation effect that, that is death by a thousand paper cuts over and over and over again um, that can really have an effect on our happiness, on our productivity, our feelings of self-worth. Um, and then also there, there's research that shows that they have long-term health effects, both physical and mental health effects as well. So um, it's important that we address them. And, and so 
microaggressions include interrupting people, um, and and women are more likely to be interrupted in the workplace. Um, taking more than your share of airtime. So uh, studies show that men tend to do that, take more sh than their share of airtime in, in uh, workplace conversations. Um, making somebody feel invisible. Again, I talked about that earlier, that um, um, not knowing somebody's name, um, not knowing their role, um, not remembering their ideas can make a difference, obviously, in how somebody feels uh, and, and their confidence levels. And, and then um, there are lots of also phrases that can that are um, in our English language that have their roots in sexism, have their roots in racism and heterosexism and ableism that can also um, be harming to people, whether it's um, there's a lot of language around disabilities. Um, so fallen on deaf ears, turn a blind eye, um, phrases that, um, that we have in our daily language that need to be changed so that um, it, because they make people with disability, they can make people with disabilities feel like they are less than. Um, uh, also, we have a lot of, I work in the tech, tech industry, and we have a lot of master and slave terminology in the tech industry, whether that's um, in IT or that's, you know, even when we say master bedrooms, what are we saying? Um, we say master folders, what are we saying? Let's, let's um, you know, change that language. Um, so lots of little things that, that, that we do that can really cause harm over time. Beautifully put. Thank you for that. I think it's just so important that we really understand what the microaggression is so we can be aware and how we can avoid it ourselves and, and, and stand mm -hmm. up when we hear someone else doing it. And to that end, I, this was an aha moment for me when I read your book in that I was just so excited. I literally was kind of jumping up and down. You talk about intervention and how important mm -hmm. that is. You know, we, we must be responsible and stand up for others. But what struck me was, especially when they're not in the room, so it's not only in their presence, which is very important, but if something is happening to someone else and they're not there to advocate for themselves, we have this wonderful opportunity to do so. Tell me more about that. Yeah, well, that, that can be in, in lots of different ways from, you know, in the hiring process where you're you know, making a decision about different candidates and um, you might recognize that um, someone is being evaluated differently than someone else, whether that is, you know, um, they're not somebody like a woman is not seen as, um, leadership material. Um, uh, but she actually has the same expertise as, as a different, as a man that you're evaluating in the same moment. And so, um, recognize that in that moment and then say something. Um, it, you know, it, it can make all the difference in that person's career. You know, um, I think we're evaluating, uh, Julie differently than, than Matt and, or, um, Jacinda differently than, than Elroy. I mean, we, we, um, need to rethink that and, um, and maybe we need to rethink that and evaluate each other equally. Um, it could also be, um, somebody, you know, in, if you're a leader and you're discussing, promotions or you're discussing who's going to get a raise and the same thing we might evaluate somebody differently um 
for the same, whether they or not, they have the same skills. And, and so um, it really is kind of jumping in there and, and saying something about that, you know, or, you know, um, Luce has worked really hard um, and has really made a difference in so many different ways. I'll list the ways here. One, two, three, maybe we should consider them for promotion. Um, and, you know, and that, that can make, again, all the difference in somebody's career. Um, also, you know, standing up for when, when there's, uh, when you see a microaggression, you can, you can interrupt in the moment um, when, when there, a microaggression happens, but you can also, if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't feel safe interrupting in the moment, take somebody aside after afterwards and say, Hey, you know, what you said might, um, might not, uh, make somebody feel good. Um, you know, it, you might say, I used to say that. And then I learned that, that, that wasn't, um, as effective as saying something, this other thing. And, um, and I just wanted you to know, because I know that you care about inclusion, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a little thing. And, and it, initially somebody might, might feel defensive or, or might take a moment before they kind of let it settle in. And that is the, you know, that, that fear that we all have that, Oh no, somebody's going to take it wrong, but obviously um, it is more important to intervene. And um, so that somebody's not creating harm than it is to make somebody feel discomfort. Right. So we want to move past that fear and, um, and help educate people so that they're not creating harm in the workplace because it affects all of us ultimately. Um, so yeah, there are lots of little ways that we can stand up for each other and make a difference for each other's in lives, whether or not we're in the room. Uh, it could also be, um, as a sponsor. So, um, you can mentor somebody and that is kind of helping them with their skills, moving them through their career journey and, and working with them to build those skills that they need along the way. A sponsor is somebody that kind of recognizes somebody already has those skills, but needs some doors opened for them. And, um, maybe they don't have the same networks that you have and you can, with your own influence, with your own privilege, you can open some of those doors to those networks that they could really make a difference in their career. So, um, you know, whether that is recommending them for an opportunity or introducing them to a whole new network that you have that you can um, open for them or, or, or that's, um, you know, just putting in a good word for them in, in one way or another. All of those things can, can make a difference in somebody's lives when they're not in the room as well. Melinda, I learned so much from you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm just delighted to have you on the show. I want to remind our global audience about your incredible book. It's called How to Be an Ally, Actions You Can Take for a Stronger, Happier Workplace. And of course, you are the very popular TED Talk speaker, and that TED Talk is called Three Ways to Be a Better Ally in the Workplace. And one of my new favorite podcasts is yours, Leading with Empathy and Allyship. So, so many ways for our listeners to connect with you. But of course, I want to remind them that they can buy your book on Amazon and major book retailers. And you've got a, a lovely new website, which is melindabriannaepler.com. Melinda, thank you. And I wish you continued success. Thank you so much, Caroline. It's so lovely to talk with you. And I appreciate all that you do so much. Thank you. You take good care. 
And <laughs> listeners, if you like our show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review because this helps new audience members find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.